This episode of Decoding TV is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's is celebrating their crew members who help everyone feel a sense of community whenever they stop into a Mickey D's. So whether you know that one crew member who always remembers you like your Big Mac with an extra pickle, or the crew member who always greets you in the drive-thru with a warm smile, thank you McDonald's crew members everywhere for making our McDonald's visits even more special. McDonald's, I'm loving it. Tell him none of this is his fault. It was already burning. He's just the first spark of the fire. Tell him he knows everything he needs to know and feels everything he needs to feel. And when the day comes that those two pull together, he will be an unstoppable force for good. Tell him... I love him more than anything he could ever do wrong. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I am David Chen. And I'm Patrick Willems. Welcome to the show. On today's episode of Decoding TV, we're going to be discussing Season 1, Episode 12 of Andor on Disney+. Rick's Road is the name of the episode. This episode was directed by Benjamin Karen and written by Tony Gilroy. It's also the Season 1 finale of Andor. Patrick, can you believe it? David, we're at the end. We're at the end. Oh my god. No, No more Andor. No more... Weekly Wednesday conversations with David. About I mean, I content. guess we could. Yeah. No, we could no still talk co- just like in, as friends, but like, what's the point of that exactly? You know? uh, d- d- David, in 2022, what's the point of having a friendship if you're not creating content in the process? I ask myself that question literally every day. Um, yeah. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. And find us on TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube at decodingtv. Now... Patrick Willems, uh, I, I do just want to start by saying a big thank you to you. This is our first sort of regular podcast we've done together, you know, and um, have really appreciated you bringing your talents to Decoding TV and helping us analyze the show. Talents. Obviously, I think it's I think it's very obvious that like a, a sort of significant community um, has sprung up around uh, this podcast and this show. Uh, and I, I want to start actually by saying a huge thank you to a couple of parties. Number one, if you want to support a show like Decoding TV, uh, you can become a paid member at decodingtv.com. And the paid members really help uh, this podcast to keep running. I pay everyone who I co-host a show with, including Patrick. Um, And the people at decodingtv.com who pay for memberships, they help me to pay people. So if if you love podcasts like this, uh, and want to support this podcast and help it keep going in the future, decodingtv.com, you get access to early episodes, ad-free episodes, and, and more. Um, the other thing I want to do is thank all the people who replied to Apple Podcasts this week. I think you probably caught I, a, a little bit of this, Patrick. I agree. I agree. Th- seriously. Like, uh, Apple... Well, yeah, just, Apple just, put out the call. They're like, who uh, who do you listen to for your Andor coverage? And they they often put together... Uh, editorial lists of like check out and or coverage and they'll list like you know 15 20 podcasts that you should listen to and i think they were like going fishing to see like which podcast should we put in the list and i would say dozens of people responded to apple podcasts and says you gotta get your content from uh the decoding tv with patrick williams and david chen right and it was so nice it was it was lovely yeah, it was it was it was very nice to see. I also scanning through those uh, those those mentions or those replies to the initial tweet. 
there are a lot of podcasts covering Andor that I was not aware of. <laughs> we've, we've got some serious competition. I don't know if the competition I, I, is good, but it's out I actually there. don't. I don't think that's true, Patrick. I'm pretty sure we are the only Andor podcast out there. So I'm just, uh, you know, that's just my take on it. But you know what? Uh, you're probably right. I think people yeah, were just yeah. making up fake podcasts. I think that uh, has, to be, has to be what happened. That has to be what happened. So. It was all those bots that Elon Musk yes. is always talking about being a major issue on Twitter. 100%. Thank you to everyone for uh, suggesting us. And if Apple does indeed put us in a place of great honor on their homepage, uh, thank you so much to Apple. And if they don't, you're cowards. You're cowards. Um, okay. But David thank could you, not everyone. have said it better myself. <laughs> All right. A uh, couple of other things I want to mention before we get into episode 12, just very quickly. And I do want to say, by the way, that like the big announcement is uh, Patrick and I are going to try to do one bonus episode sometime in the next week or two that just is like a postmortem responding to emails and comments. Uh, so if you want to get potentially your message read on that uh, episode, uh, email us at decodingtv at gmail.com or make a nice, interesting comment at youtube.com slash decodingtv uh, and we'll get to it on uh, the bonus episode. So this will not be the last conversation that Patrick and I have about Andor this year that is in podcast form. Um, obviously, some people might also be wondering, hey, what's the future of the Patrick-David Chen collaboration? And I don't know. I would say it is a pretty safe bet that we will be covering Andor season two, but that is probably not going to happen for over a year. So we're probably in 2024 when Andor season two comes out, right? As in they started shooting, I believe mere days ago. Yeah. And I believe that Tony Gilroy said, uh, I think it was in a collider interview that production will wrap summer 2023. Right, so it's got to be 2024 earliest is my guess, right? There's, uh, as as much as we talk about how this show is like shooting in real locations and building <laughs> sets and stuff like that, there's still a lot of visual effects. Post-production, I imagine, is incredibly lengthy. ILM is working on this, and they're working on it. They have a lot of stuff to work on. So it's probably going to be 2024, and I'm just going to say, I don't know what the future holds for me. I don't know what it holds for you. Actually, I know what it holds for you. A lot of podcasting. Um, <laughs> but I don't know where I'll be in the world, mm-hmm. in my life, mm-hmm. in 2024. But when Andor Season 2 drops, I'm going to be right here, baby, talking mm-hmm. about it on Decoding TV. Yeah, I mean, uh, I have been really blessed to be able to work with folks like Patrick and Don Marshall and Sid Antedlaka and... Uh, Ashley Eskeva and Kim Renfro and I think I'm missing oh and Roxanne Haddadi uh, and I think that's everyone I'm sorry if I'm forgetting so one one person there might be one or two people I'm forgetting there but anyway uh, part of the pitch of to Patrick Willems is hey come in join me for three months talk about Andor and then go off and leave and do your own thing you know like uh, there's no like long-term commitment here I would love to work with Patrick again I will pitch Patrick things uh, in the future, and it's possible that something else might happen. But uh, until then, the, the only sing- thing that is for certain is Andor season two is going to happen, and we will probably be podcasting about it. Yeah. So this was the perfect. I mean, like David, I remember when you called me on the phone. I think you were in the car. And you were like, "I have a pitch for you. You're probably going to say no." And then <laughs> I thought about it for like a full week because I was yes. like, r- genuinely like, and this is not like I. I 
to be fully clear, I have I I love talking to David. Uh, I I always love like do working with David on anything. Um, but I was like I I was enjoying not having a weekly podcast commitment and also yeah. not talking about Star Wars publicly. And so my first instinct was just to say no. And I was like, <laughs> but I don't know. And, and 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 then like a splinter in my mind, it just stayed there for the next week and I couldn't let it go and find, mm-hmm. and like you gave me so many opportunities to just like to peace out and like, uh and, and not yeah. do it. And I could not resist. And I, I not to get, too sincere here but i am so glad that i decided to do it this has been such a fun experience that's so that's so lovely i'm glad you had a good time as did i you know i think it's been great and uh i uh, i'm hoping we can uh figure out how to keep the patrick david party going on uh for another show or for something else uh we'll see but uh patrick and i will continue to stay in touch obviously and we'll see what happens um okay Let's talk about show-related stuff. There's just a couple of quick show-related things I want to get to before we get to this actual episode. Um, one thing that came up in the last week is a lot of people speculating Marva's not dead. Um, because we never see her dead body, and we and she doesn't die on screen. Um, and I think this is part of a very... This is a, I actually like understand this uh, sentiment, this like in- inclination is like... I do think it's a fair thing to expect that if you don't show the dead body, people will theorize that the person's not dead. That That is like kind of a, you know, I, I don't expect Tony Gilroy to respect those rules, but I think that in general uh, on TV, it's kind of a rule these days where there's been enough times when you've thought someone's dead and they've come back because you never saw their body that it's like, okay to expect that. That it, said, it, it, I, yeah, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I, I feel like it's the kind of thing that we usually see this in like, oh, in like an action scene or whatever, if there's a big explosion and yeah. then and like that kind of thing where, where uh, yeah, or if, if there's like a cliffhanger and, 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 you know, we've been trained to understand that like, if we are not looking at a dead body on screen, there's probably going to be a big reveal that they're alive. And yeah. I, so I, and, and- I Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I I totally get the impulse to like assume yeah. that because TV and movies have kind of trained us to think that way. Also, but like knowing this show and what it's like, mo seems to be. I I I I never for a sec like personally, I never suspected that they would reveal that she's alive. I agree with you. Uh, but people were like, yeah, it's really suspicious. They did the whole funeral possession. They didn't show the body at all. I guess it's just because the actor wasn't available that day. But um, I also think that it's not something, it's not past something that Tony Gilroy would do. If you look at his movies like uh, Michael Clayton and Duplicity, uh, those movies both do this thing where they show you a scene and then they show you literally that scene later again in a different context. And like, haha, did you, you know, it's like he, he likes pulling tricks on the audience. Um, or I will yeah. one of the wildest examples in terms of things Tony Gilroy wrote, uh, the final scene of the born supremacy takes place about two thirds of the way through the born ultimatum. Yes, yes, exactly. So he's done stuff like that before, but this show has not really trafficked in that kind of those kinds of reveals. I think, in general, yeah. So, he also yeah. like looking at 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 his stuff. Uh, you know, he he isn't. I feel like he's not generally interested in like like big mysteries or like 
you know, like surprise, shocking reveals and and stuff like that. No, uh, honestly, not even like a ton of cliffhangers. He's like, I feel like he, he he likes to put his cards on the table and just be like, here are compelling characters and I'm going to tell you a story with them. I don't know if I quite agree with that formulation. Like, I think we're okay. mostly on the same page, but... But I guess like I, there was a New Yorker profile on Tony Gilroy many years ago when Duplicity came out, where he he basically said like I do like like he he feels he's in an arms race with the audience because audiences like are so smart these days he needs to do more and more things to trick them, um, and so I do think he does that that kind of stuff. But it's I think the what you're saying about like surprise reveals is like Marva shows up with a blaster and like starts shooting people, you know, like that's what yeah. you're thinking in, ter- in terms of reveal. And like that kind of reveal, he generally doesn't do. I would agree with that. Right. Um, that said, there will be people who still think Marva is alive even after this episode. Um, because I'm they, sure they'll, they'll be saying like, but if she was so old and frail and about to die, how was she able to yeah, record right. this whole hologram? And you, st- and you don't actually see her, and you don't actually see her dead body. So, like, it's uh, there was still. But I, I, in my opinion, this episode puts to bed the idea that Marva's still alive. Uh, yeah. Other people may disagree, but I wanted to acknowledge that that's a huge line of questioning that has sprung up um, since uh, last episode. Um, okay, random note: uh, we did not point out that B two EMO. It can also be pronounced B two emo, which is a perfect name for that droid. Um, it is so I don't pretty on the nose, I have to say. And then the only other thing I wanted to mention is uh, Anto Krieger. We had speculated whether we would ever see, whether yeah RIP. We've speculated whether we'd ever see Anto Krieger, and uh, and we we I think we had concluded we're probably not going to see Anto Krieger. And I don't have the exact tweet. I apologize. But somebody tweeted at us uh, a a link to a person's tweet who was the model for Anto Krieger, basically. Like, this guy claimed, he's like, I am the guy who they modeled Anto Krieger on. They went, I went in, they took a body scan of me and then used it for the hologram. And it was like a one-day job. So then it's like, okay we're probably never going to meet Anto Krieger and he's probably dead. Uh, I, I think it's kind of cool. And that is in fact what happens. We never meet Anto Krieger. We only know him through hologram. He dies horribly this episode off screen. Um, but I did think that was cool. That, like that's the first time I've ever had something kind of spoiled from like knowing that a guy went in for a body scan for a hologram. I just put that out there. It's the so. kind of thing where I would have honestly assumed now that we, we know we're unless season two gives us like a flashback uh which i think is unlikely but um we're probably never going to see more of anto krieger yeah yeah i would have honestly assumed that they would and and you hear about this happening sometimes in productions and especially you know like pixar does this kind of thing a lot uh that they would just get a guy who like i don't know works in like the prop room or basically if it's like if All all they need is the physical appearance of a person who also looks a lot like just like a regular guy yeah. that they would just grab someone who's already on the production and just be like, here, take a few hours, do this body scan. Then you can get back to work. I don't know on the sound mix or whatever. Yeah. Uh, okay. So those are just a few follow-ups. Let's get into this week's episode. Rick's road, the season one finale of Andor. Patrick Willems overall thoughts on the episode. Uh, I, so I've, I've watched this episode twice and I think it's, a pretty incredible finish. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, 
I don't want to like start like a whole like long monologue on on all you know on on all, all of the stuff that's going on in it. But uh, as as we knew uh, from the last one, they're bringing every single character on the show, except for Saw Gerrera, together in one place, pretty much on the same street at the same time. And uh, and and this okay. Here's what I'll say. I think this episode specifically. More so than any, I'm not saying this is the best episode of the season, but more so than any of the other episodes, this is the episode that really fulfills, to me, the promise that Rogue One had, but was never able to, like, fully realize. Like, Mm -hmm. I think we talked about this on our initial Rogue One bonus episode, but to me, the most compelling scene in Rogue One uh is the like the really messy like shootout battle in the in the streets of Jeddah uh the the part where you actually see like oh here is a planet that is like an occupied territory that's that's being occupied by this this imperial force and then there is this like uh there are then there are like these rebels just like hiding and throwing bombs and there's crying children in the streets. And suddenly it, it, it takes the star Wars that we're familiar with, but it shows it to us through a very different lens, Uh, a lens that like, that really brings to mind, like uh, real world revolutions and like guerrilla fighters and like, you know, occupying, uh, you know, Imperial forces and stuff like that. And just like, like the messiness of modern war. And, and then watching this episode where like the bulk of the episode is about the build up to and then the actual like blow up of this riot uh in the in the streets of Ferrix, where you have the empire uh opening fire on on a crowd of unarmed civilians where you have these regular people who are not the rebel alliance they are just uh, a, a community of regular civilians who are pushed to to a point of violence to and you've got like you have one character building a homemade bomb to 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 throw at this thing like this is like this this is basically like the Boston massacre of the galactic civil war and uh and I found it so exciting like just both moving and exhilarating to watch this kind of thing play out in terms in in this franchise in the timeline of this of the Star Wars saga that we're so familiar with and um and I feel like that's that kind of promise of like oh it's Star Wars but like with a kind of real world like like re- actual war perspective was like kind of what Rogue One promised and this episode in particular I feel like is absolutely the fulfillment of that fascinating I really liked the episode as well uh I thought it was very good um but I'm I'm a little bit cooler on it than you obviously you know as is typical in this podcast um I think I really started to feel the constraints. Uh, I and I've been t- telling you this too. I've really started to feel the constraints of this format of um, we're doing like multi episode arcs, like every episode, every three episodes, every three episodes, every three episodes. In this case, we got like a transition episode and then two episodes. Um, the all the stuff around the funeral was excellent. I mean, we had this season four white knuckle sequences. We had the first Ferrex, uh Cassian escape, Aldani, 
Narkina five escape, and then this funeral scene. That's like four amazing set pieces in the course of one season. Uh, and that's a huge accomplishment. And so all the funeral stuff I thought was great. I did feel like uh, this, this didn't feel to me like a season one finale where I'm like, they tied up like most of the big loose ends and they left open a bunch of interesting possibilities for the second season. It did feel to me like we're in the middle of a story that's just interrupted uh, a little bit. And that is a little bit of a bummer, you know? Um, I will say I kind of felt like that the first time I watched it. Mm -hmm. And then the second time, the stuff that maybe I was, uh, the second time around elements, like what about, Vel and Cinta. Uh, right. Uh, things like that where I, I, I was like, that, that that doesn't have any kind of conclusions, something like that. That I didn't really mind as much. And the stuff that, the, 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 like, I feel like, like, like uh, the broader strokes that, that the episode is like, uh, you know, painting with and also like, the, the, like the, the main primary stuff involving like the people of Ferrix uh, hit even harder. And so I, it, it, Basically, I gave it an extra point on my second viewing. Fair enough. Fair enough. I would say, and let me just like t- talk a little, just really quickly about some of the things that I'm referring to when I say like it feels a little bit interrupted. Yes, the Valens into stuff. It feels like you know we got a little bit of it, but it felt like we needed. I, I want more scenes with those two because they're so such interesting characters, and I want to see like where that ends up. Um, obviously, there's some bigger like overarching plot lines that we never followed up with from the first season, uh, Cassian's sister, uh, which opened the season. Like, are we ever going to get back to that? Maybe in season two, you know? Uh, and, um, is Kino Loy still alive? Uh, the guy's family from <laughs> Aldani, like who were left behind, like what, you know, there's all these little things where I'm like, huh, what's going on with these? And, and you know, th- that's fine. Like it's fine for a show to leave that stuff unanswered, but, in this episode specifically, there's stuff like, uh, f- first of all, Luthen's plan sucks ass in this in this episode. Like Luthen, who's in uh, the whole ep- like season, has been built up to be like a complete badass who has like planning six moves ahead chess wise. Um, his plan is, oh uh, yeah, we're gonna follow the rebel, the Imperials, until they track down Endor, and then we'll kill him. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? Like this plan makes no sense, and of course it doesn't even come close to succeeding because he has no idea what the hell he's doing. Um, so that was kind of silly to me. Uh, and then Cinta and Vel, like that whole situation, like what was the whole purpose of Cinta even being there the whole time? She murders Korv. It's like, what like, What was the point of that? Like, it felt like completely like, you know, unmotivated. At the, It felt like it served no real purpose at that point. Um, so those are a few things from this episode. I'm kind of like, oh, like... It feels like we're interrupting this in the middle of the story. Like, where where is everyone going? And then there's a handful of stuff in the episode that I'm just like, this doesn't really make much sense to me. Like, where is this going? What was the point of this? Um, that said, as I, you know, to return back to it, all the funeral stuff, uh, how it's set up and executed, the fallout from it is excellent. And, of course, we had some extremely high-quality content this week. And I can't, you know, for that alone... It's got to be, I got to give some, so I would say this is a very good finale. It's not, you know, most episodes of the show, I'm like, that was incredible. That was amazing. This is one of the best things I've ever seen. This is a very good finale. Uh, and I, I, I do feel like, okay, well now I got to watch season two to like understand 
the whole arc of what they're planning. And maybe then I'll go back and, and it'll be like, oh, yes, this is just a transition to what was coming next. You know, but I personally believe that a, a season should have like a pretty satisfying story overall. And this one did like the Cassian arc is very good. Uh, but just some of the other stuff I felt like wasn't as well paid off as it could have been. Like the Mon stuff is another example. But anyway, right. I, mean, I, mean, overall, I mean, yeah, Mon yeah, has two scenes in the episode. And the, and the second one is basically like three shots with no dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's well. I mean, like the, the the thing with with Mon at least is like her storyline like gets an ending, or at least like yeah. like, like th- that has then like like it, it arrives at a definitive point, which is then a setup for like new things. Yeah, and uh, but yeah, it is the thing where you know I I mean, granted, you know. All this time, Luthen and Co. are trying to to find Cassian while he's in a prison for months, and so I'm assuming at this point they're fairly desperate. Like, okay, we finally have some kind of lead on where the hell in the galaxy he might be. We like all in on this. I, uh, but yeah, like I like I totally hear what you're saying about like this is especially like by Luthan standards, not a great plan, but I'm also like, <laughs> I don't really know what else they do because well, they don't Luthen ha- just Luthan going there at all, like exposes him to enormous danger. You know, like it just, it, it it's like, okay, he, his plan sucks and he shouldn't have even been there. You know, I, I don't know. I, I think that's yeah. the thing. It, it's yeah, actually that's what, and I, I can imagine them in the writer's room, like getting frustrated about this. Cause it's like, you know, Val and Cinta are very capable, uh, like on their own, clearly. Yeah, totally. Pulled off Aldani. Uh, Cinta will just stab dudes. Um, another one of those things, like in Star Wars, we don't often see people just getting stabbed with not lightsabers, yeah. with like yeah, yeah, a yeah, knife. Yeah. Um, but I, but they're they're capable of this. Why does Luthen, the got the guy that the uh, the ISB is trying to find, why is he also there? Except for the fact that you have to have the final scene. Yes, exactly. Yeah, which that, which is a which is admittedly great. It's a great final scene. Yeah. Also, apparently, Luthen only knows one parking spot on Ferrix, and he just keeps going back there. Uh, you know, because it's he's he's scoped out a good spot. Okay, everyone who lives in New York knows that you need to have if you have a good parking spot, you can't like give that up, right? So, Excuse me. Everyone in New York really knows that it's pointless to have a car because parking is so miserable and difficult. <laughs> mm-hmm, it's not worth mm-hmm. bothering with. Um, by, by the way, one last thing. I, I meant to do this in the preamble, but uh, I forgot to mention. YouTube.com slash Decoding TV. I think that's where this comment came from. Uh, it might have also been to Decoding TV at gmail.com. But somebody last week pointed out, uh, we, you and I were, were talking about the Luthen escaping from the the Cantwell class arrestor cruiser. Like, what was the point of that? Other than Luthen being really badass. Uh, and narratively, somebody points out they now have probably a recording of Luthen's voice. And yes. Karn has said that he can positively identify the voice of Axis. Um, yeah. So I was I was thinking that that might pay off this week, uh, but it hasn't. And so it's very possible that that will pay off in season two. Um, but anyway, just wanted to call that out. Do you, do you, I'm, I'm placing my bets that that's going to pay off in season two. So it's it's interesting. I believe they've already confirmed that there will be like some degree of a time jump mm-hmm. in season two. Like it's not going to just pick up 
with Luthen saying, yes, you're in. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And so yeah. it makes me wonder, are, are we going to like immediately jump in with like Cassian and and Vel and Cinta like going on missions for Luthen and stuff like that? Uh, I, I, I don't know. We'll do our season two speculation later. Yeah. Uh, well, so those are some overall thoughts of the episode uh, before we get to uh, some more in-depth discussion. But Patrick, you know, Luthen wants to get Cassian. He's telling Vel and Cinta to get Cassian. And it all seems like a big misunderstanding to me. You know, uh, it all feels like if they just had a better sense of community with each other, maybe if they shared a meal with each other, they wouldn't be so at odds with each other. And I bring that up because this episode of Decoding TV is brought to you by McDonald's, probably surfing community since 1965. David, can I just say, if we're talking about yes. community, yeah, the people of Ferrix have a really good tight-knit community there. Yeah. And uh, like they, they understand community and like I think much better than uh than than Luthen's group does. And I was just thinking when when they all when uh Brasso yeah. and 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 Bix and everybody when they load onto that ship to get away, like they look <laughs> these people who care about community, yeah. they they want a break. They've just they've just experienced this riot. They've watched their friends die. If I were them, and I know this is not canonically true in the Star Wars universe, I'm aware. If I were them, once they get off Ferrix, I would just swing by the first McDonald's that I find. It's so that, true. Yeah. yeah. Because first of all, uh, the food is delicious. But secondly, you know, uh, McDonald's really cares about fostering a sense of community. And they one of the ways they do that is through their wonderful crew members who work hard, truly make you feel like you're right at home when you stop by a McDonald's. Um, and I'm certain that if McDonald's did exist in space, that McDonald's incredible crew members would make folks like Brasso and Bix and everyone, all the daughters of Ferrix, feel right at home uh, with their meal. I know when I go to McDonald's, I get fast and friendly service. I have one right down the street from me. It's like a mile away. I stop there all the time. I love to get my chicken nuggets, and I'm always greeted uh, by a friendly smile when I uh, get my food. And uh, I really appreciate all of McDonald's crew members who make that happen. So whether you know that one crew member who always remembers you like your Big Mac with an extra pickle or the crew member who always greets you in the drive-thru with a warm smile, thank you, McDonald's crew members everywhere, for making our McDonald's visits even more special. McDonald's. I'm loving loving it. it. We're both loving it. All right, Patrick. Let's get to the rest of the episode. We're like half an hour in. We haven't even started talking about the actual episode yet. Um, Okay. Um, So can can I make a pitch? Please. Can we give the people what they want? <laughs> what is that, Patrick? Start with the car intent. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, this is, we're going to have to fast forward a little bit, but that's fine. Um, a little bit. Uh, the the so car intent we, we, is, is kind of removed from sure, most of I the mean, rest of it. So last week, Karn had stolen credits from his mom and was using it to uh, travel to Ferrix. He got a, uh, and he we got see a call that his, from old, old Linus Mosk. I, I guess he paid for Linus to travel to Ferrix as well. Uh, they're dressed like Ferrix commoners, uh, and they kind of trade hats on the ship, I think, as a way of kind of One of my favorite moments disguises. in the episode is yeah. just this wide shot of them on the space bus. The, yeah. the, the Ferrix space bus is just is one of my favorite things from this whole show. 
uh, just just watching normal people on public transportation. Uh, yeah. But I love that just this wide shot of them just sitting across the aisle from each other, uh, just silently. They trade hats. They put on their little hats. I'm not sure why they trade. I mean, I think they correctly uh, figured out which one suited which of them better. It's just, it's I great think to that's say. right. And, and, and they just, uh, to, to enhance their disguises, you know, uh, that's, that was kind of my sense of it. Anyway, uh, they get there. Karn sees Miro there managing everything. He's like, oh, it's her, you know, he there lights up. There she is. Uh, obviously the riot breaks out and then uh, Miro is almost torn limb from limb by the rioters. But Karn steps in and saves her ass. This is the opposite of what we thought would happen or what was speculated might happen, which is like Karn ruins things. He actually saves her life. Um, it's a great scene. She's very shaken. She's like, she's you know, fully you know, in shock right now. Like, yeah, she's fully in shock. I, and it, yeah. it's, it's exciting to see because, you know, she's always, I mean, especially recently, she's so in control. She loves like interrogating and stuff like that. Um, it, from the look of it, I don't think she's ever actually experienced like combat before. Right. right. Uh, she's she's a bit mostly a, a bureaucrat, and um and so she is just like in shock. Like her body is like like just like shaking, and uh and and the look on her face when she says you when, <laughs> when she sees Cyril Karn ha- ha- like in this cramped little little room on Ferrix, it's incredible. We got an email from Lauren. Writing into decodingtv at gmail.com. L- literally, uh, the episode debuted on Disney Plus nine hours ago as we're recording this. So we are just getting right into it at midnight. So it's, it has not been that long. Lauren D has written into decodingtv at gmail.com. She's watched the episode. She's written in before she got this email in before we even started recording. She says, quote, just popping in to ask is Cyril. I knew that. Uh, is this the new I love you? I know. Of Star Wars? <laughs> um, less jokingly, though, I was thrilled that the story uh, was left off, uh, how that story thread left off in this finale. Dedra saying, I should thank you, was just such a her way to put that. Does she feel gratitude? Maybe. She was definitely in a jam, but I feel like their history and her pride would make it really hard for her to genuinely, her to feel it genuinely. And she's probably still loath to encourage him literally stalking her. Yeah, this is, I mean... <laughs> I I loved what we got here, uh, but like, trying to like, th- just thinking about like, I mean, I imagine she's having a hard time even articulating thoughts in words because <laughs> she's in shock. Uh, this guy who she thought was a loser and then stalked her and she was creeped out by, then suddenly saves her life. Uh, and now they're in this like small cramped room together. And so he's not a person that she w- would want to save her. She probably doesn't even want to be saved because right. uh, she does things herself. Um, but now it's like, oh, God, I should be grateful. But it's this guy. But also he did save my life. Also, I'm like, I'm in, in shock and can't think straight. There's like, there's so much going on here. Right. And, right. and, uh, and, and also... We have gotten reports uh, that uh, that Kyle Soller, who plays Cyril Karn, is on set for season two. Woo! So he's back, baby. And so how we don't know how big that time jump will be, but I can't wait to see what it holds for Kiro. 
I mean, I have a feeling we're going to be seeing some pasty little babies next season. <laughs> I, you know, I wouldn't go some that pasty far. little white white kids. You know, that uh, have the Kiro last name. You know, I think is what's going to happen. Honestly, my uh, that would <laughs> delight me. Uh, my guess is that maybe she feels obliged to give him a job, and mm-hmm. then it's this thing where she's like his superior. Uh, mm-hmm. And he's clearly like a weirdo who is who is into her, uh, and she is d- doesn't love that. But also, he like gets you know he meets his quotas and stuff like that. So she's just kind of like dealing with this guy who has mm-hmm. this crush on her. That's that's mm-hmm. my guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Patrick. Some people have said it's a little bit weird. You guys are spending so much time talking about these two fascists and hoping they get together. And my reaction to that if, is, if it is wrong to ship Dedra, Miro, and Cyril Karn, I do not wish to be right. David, I don't know if I've ever agreed more with something you said. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. Okay. I, I, I'm on absolutely the same page here. And also, uh, to those people, have you watched the show? Have you <laughs> seen the chemistry just lighting up the screen? Uh, like, it's, it's it's incandescent, sir. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's talk about stuff that happened before the funeral. We'll talk about Coruscant stuff. We'll talk about stuff that happened after the funeral, right? Before the funeral, there's a lot of setup. Miro arrives. She, you know, being a girl boss is hard uh, because she's like, she's just flown in. They're like, hey, uh, do you want to eat some food? You know, do you want to hang out a little bit? She's like, no, I need to, I need to start patrolling everything and making sure everything is ready for our big day tomorrow. You know, um, so and they're also and, the empire is is really enjoying uh, just giving the people of Ferrix a hard time about like about their funeral procession. It's mm-hmm. like, well. Uh, they wanted to start at this time, but we made them put it shift it back two hours, and uh, and they have like the exact parameters of like here is where they will be. Like they've got this whole thing scoped out. Uh, yeah. But a really key thing here, I think, is that the Empire's general instinct, as we see when we we see the, like the ISB dealing with like the aftermath of the. Um, Anto Krieger uh, thing where they, they just wipe out his entire group. The Empire's instinct is always just like, oh, just kill them all. Just right away, uh, just sh- shoot all the people. And and they're telling Dedra that, oh, and, and we're going to have snipers in place around here. And she's like, no. Uh, our whole plan here is to get him alive and interrogate him and find out who Axis is. Like, stop. Like, And she she's also pissed off when she finds out that Krieger's whole group was just slaughtered. She's like, we, we need to actually, like, get information from some of these people. Like, like, just killing them all. Like, I know you love sending a message, or I believe, as, uh, as Partagast says, wiping the taste of Ferric. I'm uh, sorry, wiping the taste of Aldani from the Emperor's yeah. mouth. It's, uh, they love to do that, but she really wants to catch people and interrogate them. Yes. Um, Vel and Luthen arrive in, at various times. Um, Vel confronts Sinta. Sinta's really into the job. She's like, hey, look at all the stuff that's happening. We got to get to this place before, you know, and Vel's like, good to see you too. You know, Sinta's just clearly in a whole other mind space. And Vel says, hey, I need you to look at me, like step away from the thing. And they have a nice moment. And I was like, oh, this is very moving. 
And then the moment ends, and then like we never really get, come back to like what the relationship is. And I, I kind of would have loved a little bit more there, but you know, I mean, except um, for the part when uh, Vela's like, "You have blood on you," and Cinta goes, "It's not mine." <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Um, but it, it was very, it was a very moving scene. Uh, that that part. Um, there's a few scenes with Zanwan, who is the person that told Cassian last week that his mom is dead. Um, he tells Brasso what's going on. I love these scenes because you see like people working in the back of the sparks flying. You see like the, the whole setting feels alive the whole time. Right. And you see like the, the ongo the goings on at Ferrix that are happening day to day, even without everything that's happening and uh, in, in the show. And um, it's really cool. Nurchi is the guy who overhears what's going on and trades this information for theoretically his own benefit. Well, right? Nurchi was the guy in the very first episode yes. who confronted Cassian in the street because Cassian owes him money. So he's just had this beef with Cassian since before the show began. And yeah. uh and 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 this is the thing. He's like he kind of picks up on these like something's up with Zan Wan, and there there's the scene where they're at the bar, and the stuff with Zan Wan is interesting because he doesn't seem like a guy who wants to get involved in anything. He just gets stuck in the situation because he happens to answer the phone when mm-hmm. Cassian calls, and he's the one who happens to give him the information that his mother died, and so suddenly he had it's like. I don't he it seems like he doesn't want to know that Cassian is is going to come there but he has yeah. and but he's like stuck with this information and then Nurshi can tell there's something up with him and when they're at the bar he's kind of like you know kind of like leading him toward like like getting him to reveal that maybe Cassian is going to come yeah. back because he just wants to then you know throw him under the bus get paid more and finally get back at him for not paying him the money he does it in such a smart, underhanded way, too. He's like, oh, if you know Cassie's alive, don't tell me. And then, you know, that way he has, like, deniability. Um, but Cassian does return, of course. Uh, he meets up with, I think it's uh, Pegla, his friend who, yeah. like, helps him navigate the underground. And Well, um, first he he hops over. He, he goes to yeah. thinking he's going to meet up with Bix. Yeah. And, uh, you know, hopping over the wall, there's the Corellian hounds. And... Here's a, qu- a quick question about the Corellian Hounds. Are those a mix of like animatronic practical effects in some shots and CG in others? Because they look incredible. They look really good. I, I was thinking they might have they might have taken actual large dogs and like put prosthetics on them. That's kind of. But I think I think they're CG. Is my guess. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's uh, in some of those close ups. They just they look so tactile uh, in mm-hmm. a way that CGI animals like that usually uh, often even the best of it, them it's like oh well i know this is a cartoon and yeah. I'm, I'm like they they look as tactile as like you know b2 emo and so i'm just curious about the corellian hounds but yeah bix is not there obviously yeah yeah um and yeah cassian has a conversation with brasso about marva um there's there's this moment when like it's easy to forget. It's been like a week of time in real life, but it's only been overnight since last episode. And so Core realizes something's wrong when Brasso doesn't emerge from the house with B2EMO. It's some other guy that they dress up to look like Brasso. But Brasso's actually hanging out with Cassian Underground. He communicates Marva's last words, which are very moving um, and kind of gives Cassian motivation. And I do want to give credit where credit is due. I mean, obviously all the dialogue in the show is excellent in general. But the fundamental arc of Cassian Andor 
is largely delivered on in this first season, right? Like, I think they do a great job of like, he's listening to Nemec's uh, manifesto. The manifesto is like really great. He is hearing Marvel's last words. He's gone through everything he's gone through. And at the end of the day, you understand why he might go from, I'm only in it for myself to, okay, Luthen, let's team up and let's go, right? Uh, and so anyway, just want to acknowledge that Brasso scene before we move on. But I mean, I think... Honestly, I'm I'm just gonna say here, uh, Brasso is like the hero of this episode to me. Like mm-hmm. Brasso is like the best guy. Mm-hmm. He's like a great friend. He's the guy who leads the funeral procession and yeah. uh, and carries Marva's brick, which he then like beats a guy with, which rules. <laughs> which Marva Marva would have loved that. I think. Marva oh my god! Yes, that. Brasso is just such a stand-up guy, absolute yeah. legend. Uh, and he I love started him. the ep- he started the series being willing to lie to get Andor out of you know jail, basically. Yeah, um, and I like so. how um, I believe Corv refers to him as the big guy. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, a lot of stuff is happening before the funeral. They're planning the funeral. There's supposed to be forty people there. It's supposed to start at a certain time, you know. And uh, and that's basically all the pre-funeral stuff. Anything else, Patrick, before we get to Coruscant and then what happens after the funeral begins? Um, just a couple little things I want to mention. Um, uh, there's a nice little sound mixing choice in uh, in the, the short scene when Cassian is listening to Nemec's manifesto, where mm. you hear the manifesto it's like, as like clearly being played through the speakers of the little device he's holding. Yeah. And then you see like Cassian stand up, and yeah. the 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 uh, audio effect on on Nemec talking shifts from like coming out of a speaker to just being clear voiceover, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of to me communicates the idea that it's like oh even when he has like turned it off he's still thinking about mm. it it's still with him and this is like a thing that that that, that he's now like actively thinking about a lot and like, yeah. like Nemec is still with him like long after his death I love that love uh, that um I thought that was really nice and um and and just the I mean I I I wish I had the the script here in front of me but uh in that scene where he meets with Brasso in like kind of like the sewer basically just I uh, I think it's a really lovely scene and yeah. you know Cassian is so upset about how you know, his last conversation with, with Marvo, like they, they, they argued and he had wanted to, to, to take her away to, to stay with him and she wouldn't go. And, you know, now he like, and, 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 he, and then he, he missed being there and just the, like the met, like, it, and it seems like, like Brasso basically recites like verbatim her, her, like her final message to him. Like yeah. he made a point. And I, I love the performance because it felt like, when he started saying, he he had the look of someone who had like practiced saying it. Like exactly, he, he, it was like she had. You could see the conversation. She had told him like, "Hey, you need to memorize these words exactly." And he was kind of like saying it as though he had like practiced it a bunch of times. Yeah, like the um, final thing of yeah. um, like she wants you to know that, that she loves you more than anything you could do wrong. I'm yeah. just like this. This is really good. Like, uh. Marva really makes an impression for a character who is dead before this episode begins. Totally, totally. We got a couple of scenes on Coruscant this episode as well. Uh, there's a scene where uh, Mon is in a car. She's waiting for Perrin. Perrin comes in and they have a big argument. Um, Chloris is supposed to give them privacy, but he's listening in because he's actually a Blevin agent, as we find out. 
I mean, uh, I think we we'd already established that the that her new driver that she got earlier this season was an ISB plant. Like she's aware of that. She was. I don't think it was confirmed, but she was extremely okay. suspicious. But yeah. I think I think what we are supposed to deduce from this episode is she assumed it. She figured it out, or she assumed it, and that's why she planted this information of like where did Perrin get the money from. Um, right. There was because a, I gotta say, was, like, like normally, like her little security thing of being like, uh, "Hey, was it was it Corvus? Is his name? Yeah. Uh, hey, Corvus, uh, can Cl- you Chloris, 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 Chloris? Yeah. Uh, hey, can you uh turn off like the mic so you can't hear us? Uh, just like 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 obviously you can't just assume that he's he's going yeah. to, you know, uh, give you the privacy you ask for because yeah. and he doesn't. He literally just. just it's so like switches off and then right back on. Yeah. Um, but there's a few nice touches about this scene. So first of all, uh, she mentions Cantobite, which is a planet that is seen in uh, The Last Jedi, episode eight. The casino and it's in the world. Context, it's in the context of, hey, don't gamble on Coruscant. Like, if you need to get your gambling out of your system, go to Cantobite or wherever else and take care of it there. Uh, we're also covering The Crown on Decoding TV at podcast.decodingtv.com. And be sure to subscribe to make sure you listen to that. But um, this is a common thing that happens in The Crown, is somebody wants to have sex with someone or do something that they're not supposed to be able to do as a royal. And it's like, do what you got to do quietly, like in a place where no one can see you do it, and then come back and live your life as a royal person. Um, it's a very similar scene. It's like, hey, look, we have responsibilities as a senator. You have responsibilities as a senator's husband. Do what you got to do. And then, you know, yeah. Um, so, uh, but I, I did like that. That was a, hey, hey, Canto Bites um, has a purpose other than being a fun diversion in Star Wars Episode Eight. So, it, yeah, it, it's also just one of those things because, you know, like discourse around the sequel trilogy is uh weird uh and um and you know you don't say patrick you don't say i know but uh but it's one of those and despite being a person who i'm just like if i had my way i would wipe rise of skywalker from canon forever but um i still at the same time i think there are like uh there's stuff in the sequel trilogy that that i love um there's one movie that i love but uh, i i'm just happy when other Star Wars things like acknowledge it, uh, like acknowledge its contributions to the overall like lore and mythology. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, just s- simply hearing something like, uh, you know, it's, it's like when you hear mention to like of Jakku or something like that. Right. Uh, right. I'm just like, I'm always, and also because like Canto Bite, it's the kind of thing where I'm just like, yeah, why? Like, I remember watching The Last Jedi and thinking, like, why haven't we seen a place like this before? It, like, mm-hmm. obviously this would exist in this world. It's not all just people living in, like, miserable desert or ice worlds. Like, right. you know, where do the rich go on vacation? And um, and so, it like, it, it it's, it's the kind of little, like, callback to a previous thing that is, like, that just makes so much sense. Of course that's where Perrin would go to gamble. Uh, there is a scene where Blevin gets the information from Chloris and he's like, oh, wow, we got to keep our eyes on Mon because this is, we could use this information. You know, this could be very good for us. And then you find out that Anto Krieger and all his men were massacred at Spellhouse. 
Um, and then finally, there's a scene with three shots, as you indicated earlier, where we find out that Mon does end up making the introduction to Davos Skeldon's family, uh, basically is uh, potentially agreeing to marry off her daughter to this warlord, thug, criminal, whatever you want to call him. It looks um, like a very formal kind of like traditional, like like the the way one family is presented to the other with like yes. the ch- like the like I don't know fourteen year old child in the middle flanked by both parents. The yeah. doors open. Um, I gotta say, uh, Lita looks kind of happy about this. Yeah, uh, you know, we talked about this like last week or the week before, but basically, like, I, I think the show's setting up that like she's going to be happy with it. Mon is not, and I, I'm of two minds about this whole situation, Patrick. On the one hand, I, I have said all season the Mon storyline feels a little bit underbaked. Um, Would have liked more, you know, more um, flesh on that, more meat on that bone. On the other hand. This show Andor backdoored a Mon Mothma prequel, and it's like okay, like I can't, I I don't hate that at all. Like I thought it's really cool. It, it gave this character that's what's prequeling at its best is like you this side character who whose uh, most memorable stuff was like the outfit and one line she said in Return of the Jedi. Um, now has like a much richer story, um, and I'll, I'll look forward to see where it goes in season two. I, I do think overall it's underbaked, but it's cool that we got Mon at all. Like that's not one of the things I thought we would really get a lot of in in this show, and we have got a lot of her. So um, that's yeah. Cool. I and I I'm I'm on the record as saying I loved a lot of the Mon stuff. This it, it was really just I, I think like the banking stuff got a little bit uh, like obtuse uh, and vague uh, for me over a couple episodes, but yeah. I, I I really like where we are now, and I'm excited in season two uh, to see the journey of how Mon ends up with her terrible haircut that she will eventually have. <laughs> uh, yeah, her hair is really good in the show. Oh, her um, hair so... is is like immaculate in this. Yeah, and you yeah. look at her in in like in Rogue One, and then in Return of the Jedi, and it's like, what happened? Hmm. Not, not, not to be the guy who like is has strong opinions about like, you know. Well, I think if there's hair. anyone, if there's anyone who is uh, an expert at talking about hair in general, it's you and me, Patrick. Oh, I mean, exactly, exactly. We, we, right. We're but, the we're the experts. Yeah, because um, everyone well, should defer to our opinion on it. So, well, it's, it's because um, we are so jealous of Mon's hair that uh, <laughs> that we think about it a lot. Um, but. <laughs> But yeah, so, I, but, but but look, I mean, you, you, all, all I'm saying is you compare Mon's look in Rogue One with her look here, and that is a whatever the opposite of a glow up is. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. So anyway, that's the Mon storyline for this season. Um, on Ferrix, the funeral procession begins. The procession begins early. It's, there's way more people than authorized that are there. Uh, all the procession stuff was awesome. Like... You have people playing space instruments. Okay, the um, space instruments, the like space trumpets and flutes and stuff. The they reminded me a lot of uh, the instruments from the animated How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Mm-hmm. That you see, like the the Who's playing, like on on mm-hmm. Christmas morning, with that are like you know, oh trumpets with like a bunch of loops in them and stuff like that. Right. It's uh, like a flute, a flute, but it has like ten more pieces of metal on it. It's like. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's amazing, and you barely see it. You know, you see like a few shots of it. It's probably has you know, 
30 seconds of screen time when you can really make out what's going on, but you can tell so much care and detail was put into it. So. It's great. Like here, here's a question that I'm genuinely going to ask, and I'm sure, and, and, and Star Wars experts send an email to uh, decodingtv at gmail.com and tell me why I'm incorrect. Um, but uh, <laughs> at this point... Don't do that. Does Ferrix have the most fully developed culture of any Star Wars planet we've seen? Other than Coruscant, perhaps, right? I think even more than Coruscant, because Coruscant is, it's a city. Uh, like, th- that's mostly it. But, like, we have all, we, we know so much about the traditions of the people on Ferrix. Yeah. We know, uh, like, we know what the people, like, the, the different kind of jobs the regular people have. There's, like, actual communities of, uh, of normal people who have, like, normal lives. Uh, it does, just like, like, watching this, procession down this uh down rick's road um there there's a, there's one I, I have to point it out incredible like aerial probably drone shot yeah. uh going yeah. down like starting with like kind of the imperial blockade and then yeah. moving up and over and, and it like see, tilts it tilts up and then you move yeah over it yeah it's amazing yeah you see all these uh like 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 the whole town pretty much like all parading down the street you have like the you have the daughters of Ferrix, uh like the social group that marvel was a part of um coming in from one street you have like the band coming in from another and they like meet in the middle and all walk down together and i was just thinking like this is like they've they really put in the work to flesh out and and like develop this entire like just just the the culture and society of yeah. this place and it, it feels it, so real i i agree there's so many little touches that like they didn't quote unquote have to do right like um the glove wall is a, is a really great example we you see know, it like, again it's like we see it again um one of my favorite lines from the episode is i think it's um nurchi is talking about like oh yeah having brasso placing your stone it just breaks your heart um, the idea that like Andor not being there to place Marva's stone, it's a huge like tragedy basically. And it's like, oh, like there's there's a whole culture around like you must place your loved one's stone and you know, if you don't and it's like, oh wow, like it's a throwaway line, but it's like it, it kind of alludes to this world that we barely get a glimpse of in this show, right? Yeah. Um, and then Marva's speech, yeah. uh especially where she talks a, a lot about like past funerals she attended and stuff like that uh on ferrex also fleshes it out more and i cannot neglect to mention um uh the hammer guy in the tower who gets an amazing moment in this episode yes uh he when he <laughs> gets stormed by a stormtrooper and then kicks the guy off of the roof mm-hmm. of the of the anvil tower it's amazing yeah spectacular classic star yeah. wars Classic stuff. So I'm just saying, you know, please tell me if there is a, a, another planet or culture in yeah. the Star Wars canon that is like as as detailed and well developed as Ferrix. Because someone's going to write I, in and say it's in the Clone Wars. Patrick and Patrick's going to be like, well, I'm it's, still it's, not it, watching it. It's that weird planet <laughs> that uh, that Darth Maul and uh, and and uh, the witches are from, um, which is actually a cool planet. I can't remember what it's called. Anyway, moving on. So the pre- procession begins early. Uh, B2 EMO pro- projects a hologram into the sky. It's a giant Marva. Uh, and Marva gives this speech. And it's great. Uh, she talks about, you know, I'll, I'll read a couple. I wrote some notes down, uh, some quotes from the speech, you know. 
I, um, I almost we, did, and I was like, David will have written notes down. Yeah, this this is you know, I'm just I'll just read a few passages like you know, um, uh, I fear for you. We've been sleeping. We've had each other and Ferrex our work our days. We had each other and they left us alone. We kept the trade lanes open. They left us alone. We took their money and ignored them. And the moment they pulled away. We forgot them because we had each other. We had Ferrex, but we were sleeping. I've been sleeping. I've been turning away from the truth I wanted not to face. There's a wound that won't heal at the center of the galaxy. There's a darkness reaching like rust into everything around us. We let it grow, and now it's here. It's here, and it's not visiting anymore. It wants to stay. The Empire is a disease that thrives in the darkness. It's never more alive than when we sleep. End quote. Um, so those, that's not the whole thing. That's just a few select passages from it, but it's great, and of course, um, you know, like part of me is like, "Hey, maybe uh, the uh, Imperial Guard should have stopped this thing before it got to the riot part of it." But on the other hand, you know, they're they're kind of like sitting by and be like, "I want to see where she's going with this." You know, <laughs> I know. Also, a guy that I have to shout out, um, Captain Vanis Tigo, yes, uh, played by Wilf Scolding, who's kind of on the ground. He is the main Imperial officer. Yes, yes. Um, He's the prefect, right? Yeah, he's the one that throws the blanket on like B2MO at the end. Yes, yeah. uh, unsuccessfully. Yeah. Um, uh, he also the guy who uh, gives the order to open fire on the crowd. But he, I think, is one of the best like sniveling, hateable Imperial officers we've ever seen in Star Wars. Because mm-hmm. you can, like, again, he is so, he seems pretty confident that they've got this blockade set up. Like they're like they have these people under control and watching and like the editing during Marva's speech, I think is so effective as it's like, you know, it's building and building and building and Nicholas Bertel's score is building and building and building. And we're cutting around to all these reaction shots and you can see uh, Tigo there getting a little bit more concerned as it gets further and further on into full on, like, like, you know, leading a revolt uh, language and uh and it I just think it's 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 really effective stuff. And basically, this speech uh that she gives is pretty much the mission statement of this show. It yes. is about like, oh, how ordinary people just trying to live their lives get pushed to the point of violent revolt because it is the only option. And that's well, I feel like what Tony Gilroy wanted to make the show about. It's about that, but it's also I think about how uh it's easy to let fascism intrude into your world. Like it's very easy to forget that it's there and you have to be vigilant about it uh, because it's easy to live a life of comfort. It's easy to um, be hanging out, watching your Disney pluses and podcasting about your star Warses, Right. And then meanwhile, um, fascist forces have infiltrated our government and, uh, and before you know it, there's no turning back. Like that, that's kind of what I, I saw it as like, Hey, um, things were comfortable, but like, don't mistake comfort for good. Uh, don't mistake like absence of any, uh, like active atrocities for like, things are going okay right now. Um, right. and so I mean, you even think back to like the empire is straight up, like executed Marva's husband for not actually doing anything wrong. And she still, you know, tried to put it aside and just live her life. And, right. She, she uh, and, lived and what, what seems to be like a largely normal life. Like after, um, you know, she didn't join the revolution or anything until Aldani, as far as we know. Right. 
Um, so anyway, yeah, uh, I, I found that part of the speech very effective. So, yeah. Um, also, I think we should mention during this, uh, Cassian is like in this kind of like kind of outpost. He's, he's, he's high up in this building and he's like watching yeah. everything that's happening. Uh, and, and he, he sees that Luthen is there. Uh, yeah. and figures and he, out and figures out that Luthen's there to kill him. Right. Exactly. Yeah. L- and they also, Luthen who, yeah, it, it seems that Karn has also figured out what building Cassian is in. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like, 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 like watching the way, uh, that like, like it is a Karn who, who like, someone says he's in that building. Yeah. It's not, it's not Karn. I don't think. Okay. Karn, I don't, uh, Karn, so, so basically, um, a few things. Um, oh, it's first Korv, of all, I think. I think. I think I, yeah. I, first of all, I think you're thinking of like um, Nemec's, um, Nemec's manifesto is kind of what you were alluding to earlier of like, he's describing how people uh, kind of get pushed into, like the Nemec manifesto, I think, r- resembled a lot more what you're talking about just now about like right. how people get pushed. Every act of rebellion is helping the rebellion, you know, like that kind of stuff. And, and it was very good. Um, in terms of the Karn stuff, what happens is, Nurchi figures out where Andor is. That's Nurchi it. gives the information to Korv. There's a cool scene where Nurchi's like, "Pretend you're arresting me," and like it's it, that that all played out very plausibly. And then Miro goes to the Andor building, uh, and then Karn sees Miro going to the Andor. It all happens very quickly. So you know. okay, okay. And then, but then Miro does not find Andor in the building because Andor has escaped underground. Is basically what I said. Yes, that's and then by the time Marva's speech ends. Cassian is already in the hotel where Bix is being held. Yes, I think that's right. Yeah. So uh, the Marva speech ends, and we we haven't discussed that in this episode. Uh, the episode I think opened with a shot of uh, what's his name. Um, I wrote it down specifically so I wouldn't forget. Um, uh, Wilman is the character's name, played by Muhammad Bear. Wilman is Pack's son. Yes. Pack is a character that was murdered uh, last episode or a few episodes ago. The guy who, because of, who, yeah. who worked with Bix. Who literally, his only crime was letting Bix use his radio, um, is what, you know. And so uh, Pack's son, Wilman, built a bomb and kind of chucked it into the Imperial Guards and, you know, at the beginning of the riot. This scene, by not, the way... Not right at the start. Like, sure. the bomb is not what begins... Like, basically, the end of Marva's speech is her, like, shouting everyone to fight the Empire. And then, basically, Brasso just, like, you know, just kicks over, uh, a, a, like, a guard and, like, screams and is like, it, it has begun. Yes. Uh, and I, I want to say that this scene with uh, Willman throwing the bomb is extremely similar to the opening scene from a Netflix movie called um, Athena. Uh, I, where I, still, character... I still haven't watched Athena yet. Here's my request of you, Patrick. I'm, I'm, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm going to. Don't worry. Watch the opening shot of Athena. That's all. Which I, is like what eleven minutes long or so? I think it's longer. I think it might be twelve or eighteen minutes. You know, it's it's around that. Watch the opening shot of Athena, but the opening shot of Athena kicks off in an extremely similar way, basically, where um, somebody whose family member has died uh, at the hands of uh, law enforcement officers uh, builds a bomb and chucks it into a thing. Like that's that's how the the movie begins. Um, 
And so it reminded me of Athena. And also, if you're listening to this, watch the opening the- uh, scene of Athena, which is on Netflix right now. Um, somewhat similar themes to uh, Andor, although very controversial uh, in terms of how some of the scenes play out. But um, uh, Athena is an incredible movie. Is kind of what I'm trying to get across. It, it, I, I predict there will be a video essay that from Patrick Willems one day that references or potentially is about Athena. I'm going to just put that that way. Okay. Bold statements. And uh, I'm throwing it down. For, I'm throwing uh, for, it down. From, from what I'm aware of about the movie, uh, you know, I, I don't think that's uh, inaccurate. It's a staggering piece of filmmaking. It's a staggering piece of filmmaking. Okay. Yeah. I'm, st- anyway. I'm still mad. I, I, I missed it during its one week, one theater <laughs> run in New York. Mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. I just at the last minute had to miss its final showing. Anyway, you got to promise me you're going to watch the opening scene of Athena sometime. That's that's all. You don't. Oh, it doesn't oh, need oh, to be oh, this oh, weekend, oh. Patrick. But like David, yeah. I mean, it, it is like 2022 will not end with me not having seen Athena. I, I, okay. I, like, I, I and, and, right. and this is and here's the thing. This was my plan before this episode. Yeah. Okay. Like, I, I mean, I'll tell you. I'll tell you, Patrick. Here's my request: watch Athena before our bonus episode that we record next week, if you can. And we'll talk you know about it a little bit. I'd love to hear Yes, I will. Right. Cool. Okay. Sorry for the Athena um, derailment. They loved it. But basically, he throws a... So Wilman throws this bomb, and then it, like, knocks over a bucket of grenades. Don't you hate it when that happens, when your bucket of grenades gets locked over, Patrick? Uh, initiating I, a cascade of explosions. Such a bummer. That kills Nurchie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, among other people explosion is incredible like the explosion you see the glass blown out and it like knocks all these people back nurchi dies zanwan dies the people start opening fire what, on what, 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 the, the crowd that's not yeah. how zanwan dies yeah, yeah yeah zanwan dies after they open fire on people right yeah but, yeah Th- that that this is like at first it seems like a thing that they can maybe contain uh yeah. because it's just unarmed people. I mean, Brasso has the brick that he does use to beat people, which is awesome. Um but it seems like a thing that's in like, you know, they're the empire. They have tanks and stuff. But also yeah. the bomb uh flips over the tank they have. Uh and then then it's just pure chaos. And I will say, there's a it's funny, this reminder me of a movie that most of us don't love, but uh, there's a shot of Vel that is just like uh, a shot of Ben Affleck at the beginning of Batman v Superman uh, mm-hmm. of her sprinting into uh, the cloud of like dust and smoke that is coming from uh, like an explosion in a city. It's, incre- um, it's an incredible like all-timer shot. Like, because... Basically, she's running in, and then like it goes from you can see everything to like it's just her in smoke. It's an incredible shot. I don't know if it was digitally enhanced, but it looks amazing. It looks great, and and then it's it's just chaos in the streets. Uh, you know, uh, Tigo just like hiding for cover screams to to open fire. You know, you've got stormtroopers like up on like balconies just shooting into the crowd. Uh, it is like it is. Honestly, like, like it's upsetting stuff to watch. Uh, Brasso headbutts a stormtrooper, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. And and Zanwan, the guy who mostly wanted to not be involved very much, yeah. um, at one point there's a, a a great moment where he like jumps on the back of a stormtrooper, like yeah. like pounding its head, then gets shot and killed, and then falls down uh, dead to the ground. And the camera just holes on a close up of his 
his expressionless face with his eyes still open for a good like five seconds. Yeah, Again, yeah. not a thing we're used to seeing in Star Wars. It cuts to B2 EMO also lying on the ground. And I didn't know if it was a B2 EMO uh, POV shot. Um, it was unclear to me whether that was the case. Um, and but hey, anyway, B2 EMO does make it out alive. Alive. Yes. So Cassian gets Bix, Brasso, B2 EMO, I think as well, right? To the ship. Uh, and they uh, get away. He gives them these really cool instructions like, can they make it to Ganji Moon? Stay all the way low to the far side of the sea. The moment you get over the blah, 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 you climb. Like your your life is depending on, you know, it's a great speech he gives. Um, and uh, and then Cassian uh, confronts Luthen. I, th- I think that's, anything else about the the funeral procession and what happens afterwards that we should mention? I mean, we've, uh, we've obviously already talked about you know, Karn and, and Dedra Miro. And, uh, I mean, we don't, uh, we don't get any kind of final, like, tally of, like, how many people died or survived yeah. on Ferex, but clearly, you know, this whole group here, uh, are just, like, fleeing their home, uh, at the end. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. the situation on Ferex is, is dire, but, uh, and even Luthen then just sees all this and is just like, I just have to get out of here. Like, uh, like, like, no matter what happened with Cassian, I, I need to leave. Like, uh, it's not worth sticking around and looking for him. And then, and we see we the final scene is we follow Luthen on his little speeder bike thing, mm-hmm. uh, going back to his ship. He gets on his ship. Uh, he, he's getting ready to leave, and then Cassian is there waiting for him. And Cassian is like, "You came here to kill me." And Luthen, you know, basically just owns up to it and is like, yeah, uh, that, that 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 was it. And Cassian, like, basically, like, just puts a, a blaster down for him to use. And just, and the episode ends with him, you know, just making the offer, like, either kill me now or take me in. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great scene, I think, because Cassian kind of understands all the angles as usual, right? He's like... What are my choices here? If I if I kill Luthen, which he has he has Luthen dead to rights, like he can murder Luthen if he wants. But he's like, if I kill Luthen, I'm gonna be running for a long time because Luthen probably is gonna has some backup plan where if he dies, like Cassian, you know, like there's gonna be some he's gonna be running. And it's like, and at this point, the show needs to convince you that Cassian actually wants to join Luthen, and here and I think it has done that. Cassian has lost everything, and he has. Lost all of his friends. His friends hate him. Some of his friends have died or been tortured. Um, he's lost his mom. He's lost his dad to the Empire. And it's like, he he's realized, like, look, I barely want to live anymore. But if I'm going to live, I might as well live fighting the Empire. Yeah. You know? he, and tried, that's kind of- he, he, he tried to run away to, to Neomos and then got thrown in prison for yeah. doing nothing. And then, and then missed being there when his mother died. Yeah, uh, he can't. He, like he can't escape this. Uh, yeah, yeah. Th- the empire has taken everything from him. Yeah, and um, and now he's on board. Yeah. Um. Anything else to say about the episode? Uh, and I mean, we have to talk about the mid credit scene or the post credit scene. But there before is that, a post credit scene. Yeah, but before that, I'm curious. Anything else you want to say about the episode? I, I, yeah, I loved the um. I just love the idea of like, hey, I'm going to give like, because he knows the only way he can really get on board, like he, the only way he can trust Luthen 
is if he gives Luthen a blaster and's like, you can kill me or take me in, because it's like, of, other than that, he will never know what Luthen's true thoughts are. Right. You know, if he like holds up Luthen, it's like, Luthen, take me in. You know, it's like, that's not going to work. He needs to give Luthen the power in order to make it work. So it's just, it's very smart. Cassie's a very smart guy. I love that about it, you know? Me too. It's also nice to see them back together finally after mm-hmm. like eight episodes. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we already talked about this, but I, I do want to say like, uh, obviously there's a big open question of whether Cassian's going to reunite with his buddies. It is worth noting that we don't see Bix or Brasso in Rogue One. So it's like, who knows what their fate is? We don't see Luthen in Rogue One. So who knows what their fate is? But yeah, we just all, thing is, all we know is Melshi makes it. Yeah, Bix says he'll find us. You know, he'll find us. I'll find you. You know, I think they will meet again, right? I, th- I would be surprised if they didn't meet again in season two. But also, um, I gotta say, I really hope that like uh, Bix and Brasso and everyone, um, I don't know, go go somewhere and 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 get to chill out and like like relax <laughs> a little bit. Yes, please. Maybe try to get over the wailing screams of those children or whatever that Bix hears in her nightmares. Yeah. Um, anyway. Okay. Well, that's the episode. Overall, some really great stuff. I continue, you know, I've already complained about the Luthen's plan stuff. Oh, uh, uh, Sinta killing Korv. That just felt like, I, I don't know that we particularly needed to have a resolution on Korv's fate. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know what the purpose of her killing Korv was really. Like, it's just like, okay... It felt like a clumsy way to wrap up that storyline. I guess is kind of what my my feeling. Is. Well, hey, it, it 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 delivered on what? Oh God, was it Skeen said yeah. back in like episode four or five that yeah. she's like the like the hardest of all of them? Yeah. Fair enough. Okay, so that's the episode. Uh, and then, solid finale. Solid finale. Not not certainly not bad at all. Uh, the funeral stuff was all great. Car intent Miro stuff was all great. Um, there are some things I, but it just feels like, oh wow, like it felt like a lot of setup for season two, which I am now very much looking forward to. Um, but yeah, yeah. Anyway. I, I, I mean, it's um, not my favorite episode of the season, but I think it was a really strong ending to genuinely one of my favorite shows of the year. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, I'm I compare it to like other endings from this year, you know, Severance season one, House of the Dragon season one. Those felt to me like real endings in a way that this one didn't quite. Um, it felt like eighty percent of like a really solid season well, one ending. It's, so I I have not yet caught up on the House of the Dragon finale. Uh, I think I have like three episodes left to watch, um, but. Uh, but Severance ends on a huge cliffhanger. <laughs> yes, uh, but that even is... then, it's but it still feels like it like delivered like on most of the stuff that was brought up. Oh, this season, oh, fully. In, in my I mean, but yeah, uh, the, the, you know, no spoilers for the Severance finale, a show yeah. that I recommend everyone watch. But you know, that is a finale that kind of blows up the status quo and throws <laughs> a ton of balls in the air, and yeah. then like ends, and you're there yeah. like screaming at the television because yeah. you're like, we're not gonna get. I've waited a year to find out what happens next, and this yeah. was not quite there. But also, I don't think it's like quite trying to do uh, the same right. thing. I, here's the thing: thematically, I think this uh, thematically and in terms of our central character, I think this got us exactly where we needed to be and where it wanted to get us. And I think that's the, what's most important. Uh, I agree. 
I agree. I think that's fair enough. Let's talk briefly about the post credit scene. So I had I had brought up the speculation. I don't think I was the one that thought it up, but somebody emailed us, I think, or somebody commented at youtube.com slash decoding TV and said, like, um, do you think that Cassian and the people on Narkina 5 are building uh, the Death Star, parts that are going to the Death Star? And that is basically confirmed in the post credits. It, it's those same, like, metal units, like those star-shaped metal units that they're building on Narkina 5. You find out are, like, joints, basically, in the dish, in the main dish in the Death Star, right? For, like, the super laser, yeah. The super laser, And yeah. um, I, I will say, there's a nice little bit I was of... Like, Patrick's, I was like, Patrick's gonna hate this. <laughs> no, I, I mean, it's like, here's the thing. It, it was... It makes sense. Uh, it's like, I mean, it's the closest to the kind of like, you know, like, uh, like I guess, uh, oh my god, what what is the term? I'm I'm uh, Easter uh, egg. It's the closest to an Easter egg or like fan service thing that the show yeah. has mostly avoided. But I'm also like, you know, uh, there is a like a nice bit of little uh, of, of poetry there. I guess that like Cassian was uh spent all this time building pieces for the thing that is eventually going to kill him but that he will also eventually help take down. Mm, yeah. No, I like that. That's good. Yeah. Somebody uh at Vulture did a great write up uh about the the ending of Andor and they brought up like some of the timeline stuff that's kind of weird. So um in Revenge of the Sith so Andor takes place five BBY before the Battle of Yavin, right? Revenge of the Sith takes place nineteen BBY, right? Uh, in Revenge of the Sith, we see the beginnings of the Death Star. Like there's a skeleton-sized, like a skeleton of the Death Star in Revenge of the Sith. You know what I'm talking about? Um, Patrick, I think you muted yourself. <laughs> I did. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, like they're starting to build. There's that, that shot of Darth Vader like looking out the window right, of a star right. destroyer. I forgot about that. Um, so that mean, and, and we know that Rogue One takes place zero BBY. So that means that it took 19 years to build the first Death Star, right? But the second Death Star only took less than four years to build. <laughs> uh, the fully, the second fully operational Death Star. Took less than four years to build between uh, Star Wars Episode Four and Six. Well, David, so, you, have to, you have to remember that uh, that Gail and Urso like like bailed on the project, and it probably slowed mm-hmm. them down a lot for mm-hmm. like I don't know several years, and they had or, to go or get or it as back. The Vulture, or as the Vulture writer uh, suspected, maybe the working conditions on Narkina Six are just way more deplorable than the working conditions on Narkina 5. So also a possibility, but... Could be Anyway, that. yeah. yeah. Obviously, they already built the first one, so they're like, oh, we already know it. Let's just speed run what we did last time. That's basically what they decided, probably. Right. So... Hey, hey, maybe... We learned maybe, so much in this process, right? Like, exactly. Maybe uh, secretly on some other planet, they were just already building a backup Death Star all this time, just in case. Exactly. We don't know. We don't know. All right. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of our recap of Season 1, Episode 12 of Andor. It's been a really fun season, and we really appreciate people joining us for this journey. I appreciate Patrick Willems joining me for this journey. We will be back with another bonus episode. So if you have any reactions, thoughts, strong disagreements to what David Chen says, probably, 
Theories uh, about it. what might happen with Karn and Miro. Yes. DecodingTV at gmail.com. Patrick and I will discuss them all. Uh, and again, uh, podcast.decodingtv.com is where you can find more episodes. And find us on YouTube, TikTok, and Twitter at DecodingTV. Also on Instagram, by the way. At DecodingTV. We're TV. everywhere. We're David, everywhere. Are we, are, are we on Hive and Mastodon? No, we're not, Patrick. <laughs> Uh, but thank you so much for listening. Thanks, Patrick, for joining. Um, and decodingtv at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought. We'll see you next week. He is Patrick Willems. I am David Chen. Until next week, have a happy holiday weekend, and we'll talk again soon. Goodbye.